This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not an offer or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. SNN Network, SNN Inc., and the Planet Microcap Podcast and the representatives are not licensed brokers, broker dealers, market makers, investment bankers, investment advisors, analysts, or underwriters. We do not recommend any companies discussed. We may buy and sell securities in any company mentioned and may profit in the event those securities rise in value. We recommend you consult with a professional investment advisor, broker, or legal counsel before purchasing or selling any securities referenced in this podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Investors Roundtable. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. You can follow me on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft, B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T. We haven't done one of these in a while. And the last one that we did, it was the pre-Y2K event of the microcap year with the 15C211 changes uh, taking effect on September 28th. That day came and went. And so today we want to talk a little bit about the aftermath. Did the world end? Is the microcap space over as we know it? Or is it just beginning? Who knows? I don't know. Let's find out from some, from uh, <laughs> our two panelists that are joining me today on this. Uh, got, we got Tom Brazil from 507 Capital and Marcus Frampton, the Alaska Permanent Fund. What's up, guys? Hey, Bobby. Hey, Bobby. So, um, I mean, did the world end? Is that it? You know, did uh, everybody who invests in dark stocks now is it, what, what's going on? You know, from your guys' impressions, uh, what, what's uh, what's been the fallout? Go ahead, Marcus. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, well, I, it was surprisingly anticlimactic. Y2K is a good analogy. Um, you know, we were, I and several others that I know in the space were sitting with cash ready to step into the sell-off that never came. I mean, there was a little bit of sell-off um, in some names I follow, like uh, Boston Sand and Gravel, and I don't have a position because the sell-off was like two or three shares. Um, <laughs> uh, so I'll give that disclosure. But this is a very high-quality company um, that runs aggregate mines and um, does cement in Massachusetts. Um, you know, it traded kind of in the 650 to 700 range for the last 12 months. And then on September 27th, a few shares traded at 550. So, you know, someone wanted to sell a little position and took a, a little discount, but I mean, that's like a typical illiquidity discount, you know, 20, 25%. Um, and I didn't really see it broadly beyond that and maybe one or two others. Um, and it was pretty surprising because, you know, these companies that aren't going to issue financials are going to not be tradable in normal retail accounts. Um, so brokerage accounts. So, you know, holders on that last day on September 28th are kind of private equity type holders now of these names. But so I was surprised it was anticlimactic, but it was anticlimactic for the most part. Um, was it also yeah, anticlimactic? I mean, I mean, I didn't really see, I saw a few stocks grip down on like one day where like someone sold a thousand shares or something. Um, you know, it's always been a backwater. So it, so maybe there's not as many people down here as you think, and the guys that own it know what they do. And I, I don't know, maybe. And then the other, I guess the other thing you have to think about is, um, and maybe it takes time for some of these things. Like over the next, who knows, maybe year or two, you'll wake up in a name that you like, like Boston Sand and Gravel, which is like, um, you know, one of the famous ones, right? It's like, maybe you'll wake up and someone's going to sell a hundred thousand dollars worth of stock one morning, you know, and if you're there, maybe you get it. So there's probably something to be said for like, if you made a short list and just like sit on the bid of all of them or instruct your broker to, 
to to sit on the bid and uh, have alerts set up. But I think it will take time because it's like one of those things where it's not that you can't hold it. It's it goes into sell only mode. So your broker won't allow you to add. You can only subtract. You normally have to call the broker. So there's a lot of inertia there. So I feel like people will sit on the stuff and probably over the next, who knows, six to, to 24 months, like you'll see a name that you're in that just like one morning, it's like, what was that? <laughs> you know? But um, yeah, it was kind of a non-event. Definitely Y2K. It was like a per perfect analogy. Although I do think there'll be opportunities as things will, people will like figure out that they're in this stuff and or think of an estate that gets stock and they're like, oh, I can't just sell this through a broker. Like, what am I going to do with this? Um, or maybe they can sell through a broker, but it's like a little harder to find a market if it's like a decent position. So, you know, I assume trading in those blocks will be decently profitable if you've got the patience. I think it's hard to make a business out of it. Like, you know, for myself, I just kind of do it on the side as my regular business. And uh, Marcus, you do too, right? I mean, like y'all yeah. don't have like any sort of mandates around micro caps. It's very hard. You know, I think it's very hard to like make a business out of these dark companies. They're, that's, why, that's why they're great. That, that's why the opportunity exists. But anyway, but Bobby, what are your thoughts on this? Where, do you have any? No, I mean, I, I kind of echo your guys' sentiments is that it just felt, you know, the day came and went, you know? I mean, look, I didn't expect there to be, you know, like a, a, a flurry because I was mostly following on the on the issuer side to see which ones were now officially like okay we're fine and like I think others also maybe kind of expected that too to see a flurry of announcements being like we're gonna be uh we're we're gonna we're gonna get up to date on all our financials now it's like was that realistic that that was actually gonna happen it's not like I mean it, this this rule was really most it really was important mostly for issuers that maybe were holders of some of these dark stocks and then the companies themselves are like we don't have to do anything if we don't want to by the state because we can always do it at some point so like screw the pressure that you guys feel if we just communicate to you that we're planning on doing it we don't need to have our our financials you know up to date by <laughs> September 28th Right. So I think that was maybe even for me, like a misconception I had in my head, in my head where I, you know, the ball drops and it's like, oh, here's all the announcements of all the new, all the new companies that are on the QB and QX or, you know, at the very least on the pink, you know. So. Yeah, very few into the QB or QX. There's a, a, a number now that are yield sign limited info, which mm. I never followed that tier before. I probably existed, but. I guess you can do quarterly reports and it'll say pink current if you don't want to go up to QBQX QB. and then there's yield yeah. limited and that you just have to do an annual report there. And there were, there's probably a couple dozen interesting stocks that went from dark to yield limited. And I've been, th hmm. that's been anticlimactic to me as well, because none of those, I didn't see any that like, you know, jumped when they decided that they would, go from dark to yield limited, which I would have thought some would. I mean, they're opening up their annual report to the world where they didn't previously. More eyes will be on it. They'll continue to be able to trade, but those didn't really go up. And so for new investments, what I'm looking at mostly is these like new um, uh, stocks that have their annual report up, of which there's a few that are kind of interesting and didn't trade up at all. Um, and then I'm waiting to see how things shake out for like the, the dark stocks that are now on the, what they're calling the expert market, even though that, and we should spend a minute on the expert market, but the SEC didn't approve um, right. exactly what OTC markets proposed on the expert market. Um, but these stocks that um, 
are dark now don't have public quotes. You can't trade them in a retail account. Um, and I, I think Thomas, you probably can access that through your uh, trading counterparties or prime broker, but I can't. I mean, I'm just in a you know Schwab. Oh, you could probably get an accounts. account. I mean, I use Odeon, but there's yeah. a few guys. There's one called Access something. I mean, I could send you a few guys yeah. to do this kind of thing. I need to like, like look into money. that and learn how to trade because I, I just have the normal retail accounts. And a, a lot of people who just trade this market because they read a Ben Graham book or they're, you know, they're interested in value investing are going to have to figure out how to access this because it's not as easy as it used to be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, real quick though, like, cause one thing we did talk about, you know, of the, of, uh, in the last round table is how like there's 7,000 of these potential names, you know, and all that. I mean, do you guys, did, I haven't been able to find a number anywhere, but have you guys been able to maybe see like a list or some kind of rough number of how many just at the minimum went to yield limited or, or even did the full QB or QX? Yeah. I have a really good article here on the rule change from a law firm and I'll send it to you if you maybe put it in the show notes. It estimated put it in the show notes. 2,800 stocks went to dark and um, I don't know the number that went to yield limited, but it's in the dozens, if not more. Like it's a surprisingly high number. You know, it's, hmm. it, I would say it's in the hundreds that have come out with an annual report and some interesting things to go through with those. I'd be curious how many are going to actually, you know, maybe take the next step. Cause it seems like it's like, you guys ever see matrix was the third one revolutions where that the train station, right. Where, uh, you know, that it, it's, it's sending the programs back versus like continuing on, you know what I mean? Like it's, it seems like it's that way station you know the area i don't know <laughs> trying to listen i'm trying we're trying to relate stuff to pop culture a little bit here you know right. I, I figured that we already did y2k why not a little matrix revolutions reference trying to be, do is pop culture and current events without being demonetized bobby what's going on here <laughs> yeah right i know <laughs> i want to know about this demonetization thing that every, every time i listen to a friend's podcast we're talking about demonetization but anyway I've never uh, heard, I, I, the ding dong in me will tell you, I've never even heard that phrase. What, the what do you mean? You don't get, you don't, you don't get like, like $10,000 for this podcast. Like they don't Google it, send you a big fat check. Uh, I, no, unfortunately no? not. No, unfortunately <laughs> Come on, Bobby. I know I, I'm in the, I'm in it for the love of the game, man. Just like you. I'm not going yeah. to make money. Come on. I do think there's a little bit, it sounds crazy to say this, but I think, you know, definitely, you know, the darker, um, the, you know, the dark stacks, like, I think you could definitely make money in a, a sort of a, as an enterprising investor. Um, I think it's very hard to make a business out of it. And also like, I think you have to love it because like, it can be pretty grueling. Like, so when someone says like, you know, I was talking to Bill Brewster and he was saying like, oh, you know, you know, I would feel bad if I underperformed the S&P in this market. I was like, you must not own any dark stacks. Because I'm thinking, like, they're so cheap. Like, Boston, I can't remember the name. Boston Saw or Boston, what's it called? Boston Sand gravel. and gravel. Yeah. Sand and gravel, concrete and rainbows, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> Boston. It's, it's been around there forever. It's like you're buying it so cheap. and it's But, like, you'll wake up and you'll make a whatever X, right? And so... You know, you're you're not gonna you're not gonna realize you you can't like look to the price for any sort of confirmation, um, and partially that's your friend because you're probably sitting on the bid, and you know whenever you have an extra few 
thousand dollars and you know you'll, you'll buy a little more or something of these of a, some of the name you like so um it's i guess my point is like you really do have to love it because it's not it, in a market like we're in like you know people must ask like why are you even doing this um you know i have my reasons but i mean i just think there's a lot of cheap interesting stuff down here and so and every now and then some incredibly explosive things um but um anyway so, so i mean is this the end of dark stock investing or is it now just safe for the the complete like the real real core you know i mean is it is, is that is this it i don't know mark marcus what do you think am i wrong tell me i'm wrong well <laughs> i think that it, i don't think it's the end because i think people are going to figure out how to access the market and it'll just be that much more inefficient i mean it's the same companies you know it's it, it you're still own an ownership interest in a company that does whatever it did previously it's just you can't go on bloomberg and get a quote on the stock and they never gave their financials publicly previously you had to kind of harass the cfo and stuff so you're still gonna have to harass the cfo so it's gonna it's pretty unchanged for me, I'm just disappointed that there wasn't a big sell-off. And, um, you know, so I, I don't think it'll it'll change. But there's there's probably someone out there who would have gotten interested in this market who won't now because it's just that much more opaque. And that, I think, all else equal has to create more opportunities um, for, like, deeply discounted stocks. The other thing is there's still companies – it's still at the company or the issuer's option whether – what tier they're on. So if someone's on QB and then they just stop filing financials, they're going to be dark and I won't be able to trade it in my Schwab account and I'll have to figure out another account to do it in. Whereas, you know, my whole career, I could always just buy that stuff very easily in a, you know, a retail account. Does your, does your accounts that you use allow for pink? Yes. Okay. Cause pink, so, like, pink is like yeah. five or 7,000 a year and like QB is like 25. Or maybe even 30 at this point like there's a big delta for like a small issuer um you know. right. yeah if the issuers want to be current and on pink i mean it's not an exorbitant cost so the yeah the dark ones want to be dark you know don't want you know, most most of them consider themselves private companies so it um did i tell the story last time when i called and the secretary said oh, i'm sorry i don't know what you're talking about we're a private company and i was like no you're not Oh right. Um, there are banks. That <laughs> Did you tell that story? That I don't. I don't think you told that story. Oh really? Oh yeah. yeah. I once called. It was a bank. It's like three thousand dollars a share, four thousand dollars a share. Someone's got out there is going to know this one. Um, first something something. Oh, there's always a first republic something something bank. Uh, anyway, so I called and the lady was like, I was like, oh, you know, I was hoping to actually either like get financials for the company or you know an annual report. She was like. And I literally, it was like the secretary of the president <laughs> and it's a decent sized company. I want to say like, they have like 20 branches or something. Um, so I want to say their assets are close to a billion dollars or something, but it's like, it's like dark and it doesn't report or anything. And she was like, I'm sorry. I think that, you know, you must be mistaken. Like we're not a public company. And I was like, oh no, no, you, you are. <laughs> right. But I have been told that as well. I once got told that about a company you know, like a small stub will be public. So like, this is a similar case where I think insiders do own like 80 or 90% of the company, you know, like all the stub trades. Just to, just to like draw some things here. We never really talk about this on these, but 
there's a big delta between like guys like you know marcus and some of the a lot all the guys you really have on the panel that are buying like cheap companies where it's dark and you know these are you know marcus and people have like real finance backgrounds that are, are just like know enough and love enough about investing to spend time to learn uh, finance if they don't have a finance background uh you know to find cheap cheap stocks basically cheap companies and cheap investments that's very different than like the whole swath of the market which i assume all these rules were basically trying to stop which is like you know penny stock gambling you know because like i remember the first time i i found a micro cap that i really liked and i was talking to someone about it and i was saying it's a net net and all the guy said to me and this is a guy that went to columbia and you know worked at a distressed hedge fund or whatever he says gotta be careful with those penny stocks tom and i was like penny stocks like, what does it matter what the denomination of like what, you know they could do a reverse split and it could be three dollars like what does it matter if it's 30 cents um so that you know that's why these rules are really put in to protect that you know it's just like rampant fraud and things that go on and in, in, in you know even smid cap but you know really small companies yeah all right yeah, I do think it's a little regulatory overreach. Um, like I follow uh, Cromwell, who's the CEO of OTC Markets on Twitter, and he he tweeted an article about um, uh, the Wolf of Wall Street guy, and I'm blanking on his name, but oh, Stratton something or other. There's and no the article is just all about how like all their IPOs were on. We just now. demonetized. You know, so it <laughs> so it's like I don't think that the SEC is probably going to end like pump and dumps, which probably date back hundreds of years, as long as there have been financial markets with this regulation. Yeah. But I think you're right, Thomas, on like what's driving it is this has been an area where there's been a lot of fraud, but there's also a lot of fraud on NASDAQ listed stocks. And other oh, for sure. I don't even know. Like, I bet if you looked at the pot, like, yeah, there's, if there's 2000 stocks, how much fraud within that, like, you know, percentage of fraud versus like percentage of fraud with like, you know, mid caps, mid caps, large caps, it's probably just as much, if not more. Um, no, I, I, I totally appreciate that. And, and you're right. It's sort of regular, it's sort of like a blunt instrument because they don't want to deal with it in my mind. It's mm -hmm. like, I don't want to deal with this. Let's just make up some blanket rules so we don't have to deal with this. And, uh, and I assume that's why a lot of these things come into existence. Well, they're I mean, also probably the part of the equation, right, was, all right, how many, how many investors are actually care in, in many respects, you right. know, like, like how many Toms and Marcuses are there out there? I mean, I think they're all on FinTwit, you know, uh, <laughs> actively talking about it. You'd I mean, be obviously. surprised. Well, I find, well, I don't know, finish the thought, finish the thought. No, no, no. You, I mean, there, there's more than you obviously know, right? Like, I'm, I'm kind of just joshing. They come bit. out of the woodworks, right? Oh, yeah. You're like looking at something and someone will ping you and be like, oh, have you ever looked at this? Or like, oh, it's, I don't even know anyone knew about this company. Like, every now and then you get someone to ping you and DM like that. And I love it. I love that kind of stuff. And, yeah, and me too. You can meet them out in the wild as well, outside of Twitter. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's been but, tough uh, the last Twitter two years, fun. but yeah. It's been it's been tough the last two years, you know, uh, travel restrictions and whatnot. But but you when you used do, to meet them cool. at annual meetings, that's when yeah, you used to meet yeah. people. It's like you and another person. You're like, uh, you don't look like you're not like over seventy. What are you doing here? And you're like, <laughs> right. well, you don't look like you work at the company either, and you're not over seventy. What are you doing here? And like, oh yeah, I'm, uh, you know, I'm a microcap guy. And you're like, oh me too. Hey, speaking of that, have you guys been going to uh, any annual meetings now? Now that you know. Things are opening up a little bit or plans to go into any annual meetings? No. I, I haven't. I've got one virtual one this month. So it's going to be interesting whether these like Zoom annual meetings continue because they're really 
convenient. Um, uh, actually, the one I'm going to this month is uh, Garden City Company, which is one of the ones that went from dark to limited. Um, anyway, they own farmland in Kansas and uh, right. has, I think, a three and a half percent dividend yield, and I own it. But I'm going to go to that this month on Zoom. And then I'm on the board of a small uh, company called Scientific Industries. They're going to as of now, have an in-person annual meeting in in Long Island in January. So, I mean, the way COVID's going, you know, it, it, it's anyone's guess, but that's the plan right now. So that probably be my first one. Yeah. So what's our? So, yeah. yeah. What about you, Thomas? Are you, no, Tom's no, in Italy. No, he, he might. He's gonna go to some annual meetings on. No, on no, the you know, they moved all the Tuscany bankruptcy coast. court stuff. They moved all the bankruptcy court stuff and all the federal court stuff onto Zoom, and I absolutely love it. So I really don't hope to change it, but I do. I still do miss sort of like going to annual meetings and like meeting with people. You get it, it's not it's not totally the same, right? Like the conversation, the flow is is different, but it's still it's still nice. It's still better than nothing, of course. But um, and you can get a lot more done. But um, I don't know. You know, I, I think like when you're investing, is it? Per, when you, you know, in business, people are all about productivity and investing, like productivity can actually hurt you, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, um, yeah I, I read Grant's Interest Rate Observer. I don't know if you guys do. It's like a great newsletter. I uh, love it's not that. on great. microcaps, just markets generally, but he had a great one on a company called Viad this month that does um, convention. They like host conventions. Oh, convention. They do the lighting, yeah. the booths and everything. And they've got a travel business in Canada. So the whole thing was about uh, business travel. And it was really funny because he was saying that that every recession, every company says that going forward, they're going to do like 20% less travel. And then it always grows. And so like right now we're in that point where like they did a survey of Fortune 500 companies and they're going to do 20% less travel. Um, but he thinks that'll grow. Um, and the interesting thing is he had some survey in there that someone did. I don't know who would answer this in the survey, but like one of the top reasons for business travel is people getting out of the house from unhappy marriages, you know, getting out on the road away from their family. Hopefully it's an anonymous survey. That's the case, but there could be some yeah, real pens real. up on that front. <laughs> yeah, let's definitely hope that's an anonymous survey. <laughs> right, yeah, you need exactly. to check this box? <laughs> uh, so I don't know. I'm ha I'm looking forward to getting on the road, but not because I want. Why am I getting geo targeting? Why am I getting geo targeted ads for divorce lawyers? Like, what the hell is <laughs> happening? Here? <laughs> Google knows. Yeah. Don't you think but, though there is something to be said for like, I wouldn't say that, but just like, there, there's a there's a lot of stuff that you know in hindsight or you don't you don't it's like I don't know you don't really know like you go and see a client or you go meet with someone that might be like for myself like might be a big client you don't really know like you can get there and be like why did i come here but then it's like ah, you kind of have to you don't really know what's going to be behind the door so yeah but uh all right so closing the book on the y2k that wasn't uh in microcaps i mean any any closing thoughts on that before we go into maybe some other rabbit holes that have been interesting lately uh. yeah i don't have anything further from what i said it was an, an interesting because it went on for a year, I feel like I spent like a year trying to like decipher, you know, all these SEC <laughs> proposed rules and stuff. And so maybe the, I just got myself worked up that it was going to be a bigger deal than it was. It just it, it, it kind of reminds me of you saying this, Mark, it makes me think of it as well, which is like the, the Klarman quote, which is like, 
you, know, you worry and worry and worry and worry, like sort of top down, like always thinking about stuff. But at the end of the day, like you just sort of have to invest bottom up, just like finding stuff, you know, one by one. And it's like, so I, I you know, just like everybody, you get these intellectual holes, like thinking about like strategies or things that might happen. And then at the end of the day, like you have to have like actual things and those are sort of found bottom up. But yeah. Well, it seems like the main thing that in hindsight that we probably all should have been looking at is like, okay, what, what brokerages, you know, what online, uh, you know, everything that brokerages are you using that will allow you to, you know, get in and out or what are some of the fees going to be at the end of the day, that seems like the main thing we should have been watching as opposed to like seeing what your issuers are going to do, because they're not going to be honest with you for the most part, you know, or it is relevant. I mean, like interactive brokers for the last couple months has been only allowing sell orders in these dark stocks. And I haven't done it because of my, like the ones that I hold, I'm just going to hold. Um, but they're only allowing market sell orders, which is like insane. Like, and I don't oh, know really? anyone who's taken them up on it, but um, you know, and then like, I've talked to a couple people who, just in the last week who are trading these dark stocks, they have broker relationships that allow it, unlike me. And they said that, you know, like the volumes are extremely light right now. Like there's not a lot going on. You know, I talked to three or four people who said that. And I talked to a fourth person who said um, that he's like backing up the truck on a couple stocks that are selling off really hard and there's a lot of volume and he doesn't know where the volume's coming from, but, you know, he's building these big positions. So that's what happens when you've got, several thousand stocks, I guess, that move into a new category that, you know, maybe it's interactive brokers. And I think I might've seen an email this morning that they changed their policy. Um, but I got like three emails about these market sell orders. So anyway, they may have changed it. So if some lawyer from interactive brokers is listening, don't sue me. Um, but, <laughs> but like the broker, the online broker totally going to get kicked this, off. I think, you know? <laughs> yeah, Marcus, you better this make why we need decentralized trade. finance. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, will you guys contribute to my GoFundMe for my lawsuit with interactive brokers? Them there. But yeah, I mean, they've we'll always been we'll put in the show notes so on the bad. dark stock. What's we'll that, Thomas? They can't sue me for saying the customer service is so bad, can they? It's the worst. Like the service is so bad. But I mean, that's, you know, that's the pretty quote pro. I mean, for myself, like, because I've always done like the sort of the stress stuff. I always hate doing like paperwork to open up new accounts and stuff like that. But I actually have like a whole smorgasbord of accounts. So like I, I got involved with like TD Ameritrade account because I wanted to buy on like the CSE or something. And now they have this, Bobby, you know all about these things. So there's a CSE and then there's the other one, the next or whatever it's called. And uh, so I've gotten yeah. involved in those. And then the crypto stuff made me open up, you know, accounts and stuff like that. Um, and I got, I got interested in like, you know, and I'm still interested in uh, Africa. And so I've opened up accounts there and in Asia, you know, because you have to have like, you know, a lot of markets you can't get into. So I've always kind of, there, this kind of friction, I think the, you know, I think no offense, like the US, we're spoiled, like, you know, and interactive is, you know, okay, the company service is not great, but they've spoiled us with very, very low commissions and uh, access to these. And, you know, they've kind of pushed back on some of the stuff over the years, but now they've really, this, this, this SEC rule, I guess, they put the line in the sand. Um, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, let's transition. Um, this is our hard transition into rabbit holes because I mean, uh, Dr. Bobby, listen, I'm, I, I, you know, even despite following microcaps on a daily basis, I know you guys both do too. I mean, I'm interested to hear, you know, what other things have been kind of interesting 
in uh, right now you know uh has there been anything that's been interesting or is it just more or less uh maintenance right now i don't know tom or marcus you know, yeah marcus i love to see you know anything i found recently i mean i guess i can talk about the stuff because these guys are publicly own it like it was like there's like a real estate holding company or two that i mean there's the there's the one in california that's putting their uh, self-storage up for sale. I suppose it's kind of oh, like yeah. a callus. I, I don't know. It's probably not cheap now. I'm not actually sure. Um, but there was one, I think, uh, gosh, I should actually have the tickers for you guys. Uh, but my friend Bill Chen was telling me about us, the one that he's owned for a while that um, he's getting them to, uh, to uh, I think it's called FRP. I'll look the symbols up as we talk. You know, okay. Well, the first one was Laco, right? The self-storage. Yeah, Laco. They put their self-storage up for sale. That was kind of interesting. Um, um, I can't really, in terms of dark stocks, I found two dark stocks that have Cuba confiscation claims, or I say found. I, mean, um, I think uh, Jan had written up uh, one or maybe even two of them. They're not, this is not for like, I, this is not for like internal, I don't know. I'm sharing this for people that are really hardcore out there um but um i don't know i haven't really found anything dark that i think is that interesting that i think you know some people should go and take a look at but maybe i'll think about it marcus what have you what have you been finding in the dark space i think i mean i'm not trading new dark positions right now but investing in generally for my personal account i think well you mentioned laco which i do own um that's los angeles athletic club um yeah you know these these uh, large storage companies like public storage are paying like astronomical prices for self-storage. And like, I see, um, you know, through my day job at the permanent fund, like I see the, the deals on institutional size storage and apartment deals. And they're like in the three cap rates now. It's, it's like a really expensive market. So, you know, um, Laco owns a big portfolio of storage assets with, you know, something like 30 million of NOI and, um, Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. It's, it's chunky. And, um, maybe it's a little less than that, but anyway, it's definitely over 20. And then, you know, so the stock traded from 2,500 a unit up to 4,000 a unit when they announced they were going to sell it, there might be, it's probably, you know, reflecting some, but not all of the value, but so like someone could trade that, but a lot of the juice is out. You know, Ojai Oil is one that I own, that I've written up that owns storage. It's a lot smaller, but it trades at like an implied 10 cap rate and didn't get any move on this Laco thing. I don't know if they'll ever sell, but it's like kind of owning good assets cheap. And it has, I think, a 2% dividend yield. So that one's really illiquid, but, you know, I dabble in that. Um, I think the other interesting thing is just like this inflationary environment we're in. And, um, you know, like I've been reading a lot about it and, and I've been seeing some, some comparisons of things the Fed's saying now versus what the Fed said in the late 60s. And like, they, all, they always think it's transitory and special events outside their control. Um, so if you think um, inflation is gonna continue and, and like just the, natural gas prices have been going up, coal prices have been going up, oil's over 80 a barrel. I think, you know, a couple that I think are interesting that I own are uh, Party Resources and Beaver Coal, both of which went from dark to, I think a lot of people were surprised with Beaver Coal. I mean, they've got a 
low teens dividend yield and they own Timberlands in West Virginia and they sell coal, um, but they're a royalty um, player in it. So they're not hiring the workers. They don't have the same liabilities, I don't believe. And uh, neither of those companies have any debt. So I think those are kind of like real estate and resource companies. There's a lot within like OTC value stocks that are like land heavy. Garden City is another one that I just started looking at recently that I own some of, they own farmland in Kansas. And you can kind of look at the, now that they have an annual report out, you can look at the acres they own and the market cap and you can Google what farmland's worth in Kansas. And it's, you know, an interesting discount and it's a, you know, three and a half percent yield. So this is not the like a hundred bagger stuff, but I don't, all of the things I just said all day over the S&P 500 right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you have to think about like, you know, what, you know, the Buffett quote is always so true, which is like when investing, the more that investing is, is business-like, the better, you know, you're going to do. So like, just like think about it as business and like get, get rid of the quotes and stuff like that. I mean, other than to like, you know, serve you with a good price um if you want to sell you know the high price and buy a low price but it's so true it's like some of these inflation hedges that are sort of those are probably the most interesting one the inflation hedges where you might get two bumps right because you bought it cheap maybe you get some yield and then on top of that like i assume that infrastructure and maybe even you know people like permanent fund or toronto's teachers and people like that will continuously buy these things whether it's mobile home parks at like low caps or storage units at low caps or farmland at low caps. Um, so these could be like interesting places to hide out for sure. Um, shouldn't you say hide out? Cause it's, it's kind of like the get rich slow thing. Like it's a great place to make money with your, with your side money. But again, it's like, again, I think it works because it's, again, it's, it's, it's hard to make a business out of it as a fund, but you, but as a home gamer, like these are great, great pockets. And it's definitely inflation hedges. Um, Probably much better than some of the other things people talk about as inflation hedges. By the way, it's uh, FRP Holdings. That's the one I was thinking of. It used to, it was Florida Rock. That was the old Florida Rock, I think. Okay. They were spun out of, there was Florida Rock was sold to Vulcan and then Vulcan spun out these assets. And then the smattering of assets oh. is basically some quarries and some land that they redeveloped. So it trades for like 500 million. It's not really OTC pink. I think, I think it's OTC, but it might be, it might even be NASDAQ, but I don't think it is. And uh, let me look it up. And uh, you know, Bill's thinks it's worth uh, like over a billion bucks or something. Um, Which one was and, this? You know, FRP Holdings. Let's see. FRP. Oh yeah, that's Nasdaq. And yeah, you want a New York one? Like WH May is the old moldy oldie. It's been a while since I've seen that name. Um, that's one with. Uh, let's say. Management with questionable judgment. <laughs> as far as I'll go, on the pod, you'll, you'll have to. You have to. We'll have to have a live event for me to really unload. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I got to do. A I, I'm going to be doing a spaces soon. I, I know it's time to start like playing around with that stuff. It's Dude, pretty... Bobby, let's do a spaces. I'll do one with you. I mean, I, I don't know why you need me, but, but, but I do one. no, I need somebody to talk. Oh, what? I, I just ask questions, man. Like, what am I? I, I ask questions and throwing dumb jokes. Like, I, I you know, so I'm, I'm going to need folks to. Uh, I've it? been, I've been really for myself. Like, I don't know. I'm still, of course, still in the micro caps and things because the values, but I've been re I guess recently, I, I mean, everybody knows Nick Sleep, I guess, at this point, but I've been reading his partnership letters. It's like really been affecting my brain. 
Really? What, like trying what, to make... what about it? What about it's been affecting your brain? So he's sort of like obsessed with this idea of uh, like quality. And he sort of like fashioned his entire partnership on like Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. I don't know if anyone's read that book, but it's a fantastic book. <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, you got it. You got it on the shelf. All right, all right, all right. It's good for curing insomnia as well. Like sometimes if you're reading it at night, you're like, what is he talking about again? Especially um, at this size, man, the small letters, I'm done after, after two pages. So it's great for multiple uses, but uh, <laughs> but I kind of I kind of I don't know. So much of what he says resonates with me, and I guess sometimes the way someone says something can be more powerful than it's not any different than what Munger would say, which is like you know better businesses where you know, you're going to approach the horizon of the underlying ROE of the business. And guys that are you know into compounders, um, I feel like the whole compound or quality compounders is sort of bandied about a bit much. Um, but I have to admit when you go to the guy that's really good at it and you're like, yep, I get it. Yep. Even though it's been a spot where I haven't spent as much time as others. Um, yeah. we're off topic. Yeah. I mean, Mark, is that, what, what other rabbit holes have you been going down since, uh, now that the dark stock craze and the, the non-event has happened? Um, you know, nothing to, I mean, I have all these screens that I run, you know, on Capital IQ to come up with ideas. And, you know, I've been doing the, the post-reorg equity um, uh, screen and it's, uh, it had been doing really well, uh, except Tuesday morning, which came out earlier this year and just got hammered. Which, there's, a, uh, there, there's a few. I don't know. There. I don't even know what happened there because I don't even look at the, I just buy them when the, the first day they trade. And I was really? up like, oh, that's interesting. Well, I have this little account where I do that and it forces me to follow some of them. But which ones, I which, end up, which ones were you looking at? Like I saw ACY. Was, was uh, yeah, Aerocentury is the yeah. most recent. Um, Not a share on it. Came out. Um, and then Frontier Communications. <laughs> There's been a ton of, if you look at the last year, it's probably like half oil companies. So there was Chesapeake came out of bankruptcy. Gulfport Energy came out. And they've all done pretty well, but I mean, largely because of the oil price, but I, I think largely have outperformed, um, you know, the XOP or whatever. Um, Hertz came out in the end of June. And absolutely crushed it. The, yeah. So, I mean, it's like, it. it's, it's the first day they trade. It's like, there are no eyes on it really, I don't think. And then you've got, um, you know, bondholders who just got equity and just started trading so in theory there could be like some forced selling so i think like buying in the like month after it comes out is kind of interesting but you know it could be like spinoffs where like they were this great thing for a long time and more recently haven't been that great um there was one called pixis that was a tobacco distributor that yeah. is kind of interesting but it's like I think some of these come out of bankruptcy with a lot of debt on them. And Pixis was an example of that. So it's like a stuff, it's market cap is 50 million and it's got a billion of debt right now, uh, Pixis. And they've had kind of like crappy earnings since they came out of bankruptcy. But um, there's a firm called Glendon, a distressed firm that controls as the largest equity holder and as the part of the term loan. So, you know, like there's like professional people involved and it's either going to go back into bankruptcy again, or it's going to be like a five bagger because that ratio of 
market cap to enterprise value is like so small. It's like a stub equity right now. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, I'm no, definitely it's... not recommending Pixis because like they're really levered. But I mean, anyways, go ahead, Thomas. No, I was gonna say, what is the uh, Dan Rasman? Is it Dan Rasman? Oh, Dan Murray? Rasmussen. Yeah. Rasmussen. Thank you. Yeah. I'm butchered his name here. He could sue me too. Um, uh, I actually met him a long time ago, and he was a really nice guy. So I'm joking around. With him. Uh, but he, uh, he, that paper, you know, that he wrote about that pay down, um, and yeah. outperformance is is great. And I think it's true. It's like if you these equity stubs where they can service debt, and you can get sort of, um, you know, again cheap multiple where you're just you're just basically the the all the value creation is going to debt pay down, which of course increases equity value. And you, you, these aren't fantastic multiples, a lot of these businesses trade at. Those are great, that's a great strategy. There's a guy named Chris, uh, what's Chris's last name? I'm sure you've had him on, Bobby, um, that does that kind of stuff. But there's 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 a number of, uh, the post-period equities, actually Hertz is my favorite. You guys, the, you know, the one thing I would add as well, Marcus, don't you think like, a lot of the guys who get in these, like they have sort of mandates, right? They're like playing the the catalyst and the catalyst worked and they double their money and now they're on to the next thing. And, you know, again, that's good for them because they're trying to show their institutional clients that like we rinse and repeat and that we're very like laser focused on like, you know, sticking within our like wheelhouse or our um, style, you know, and you know, we're very, you know, disciplined. Well, sometimes this whole discipline means that they're just like indiscriminately sell things that probably will keep going. And, you know, they're just like, oh, we only own cheap stocks, you know? So, I mean, I think Hertz is one of those. And, um, and the guys actually that took over Hertz, um, you got to look at them, like the private equity firm that is kind of like the controlling shareholder. Um, the guy seems like a real ace and uh, they're going to try to cross sell within the, uh, um, within their distribution network. So they own a bunch of travel agents and um, I think they're the largest shareholder of, uh, um, of um, one of the large travel ag aggregators, but they're gonna try to like get synergies um, um, through the, both the, I guess, the supply side, which is like Hertz and their distribution side, which are the travel agencies as well as, um, you know, travel booking aggregators. So I think it's a, it's a great, great story. And it's like one of those things where, I don't know, the compound guys haven't quite caught on to it yet. And especially the guys are kind of rolling out of it. And there's some nice warrants. That's the other fun thing about uh, bankruptcies, Marcus. Sorry, you get like these little interesting securities. You get warrants and preferreds and units and weird stuff that can pop out. And, um, you know, some text can be good. All right, so here's my... Like... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. No, 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 no. no as, a bank as a bankruptcy person, I'm impressed this time around, like with some of the, the ways that they've enhanced value for lower people in the sort of pecking order. Um, to like give them optionality if things come back. I'm really impressed with this cycle about like what some of the creditor side councils have been able to get through with um, with debtors. I mean, some of the stuff is hope notes, right? You're giving someone warrants in the business, but um, you know, the strike at valuations and they can be heavily indebted. But I'm, I'm impressed that they didn't just totally get washed out. And, and, and there were a number of situations like the Tuesday morning, somebody backs up to rights offering. Um, but um, right. great, definitely some great, plays there so i think i have a question to close us out for today uh, and this is going to be like a classic like cnbc question maybe not because we're talking microcaps but what's the weirdest thing you've seen 
since I, I think we recorded the last round table like about a month ago. It's been the weirdest thing you've seen that's happened since. Or how about this? Weirdest or most interesting thing you've seen in the markets since uh, since our last one? Yeah, who wants to go first with that? Marcus, go. What you got? Well, I think, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I'm concerned about the stuff going on in dc right now i mean i think you know i'm not like a fed watcher or anything like that but i mean if i i think that the the predicted odds of drone powell being reappointed have gone from like 90 down to like 60 65 or something percent and i mean i think that like i said earlier i think inflation is like one of the biggest issues in the markets right now and you know we're talking about a big infrastructure package the debt ceiling thing is coming up there's brinkmanship around that so i think that maybe it's not that interesting because there's always nonsense going on in washington dc but you know like if we if we keep getting you know high inflation reads and then you know the 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 owner's equivalent rent or the you know the rental portion of cpi starts reflecting what's actually happening um you know the fed may have to tighten and and i think that Whoever it is, whether it's Jerome Powell or Lael Brainerd, will be under have a lot of pressure not to tight in. And then, you know, I so I think that that the risk of really high inflation is, is really out there. So maybe not the weirdest thing, but that's what I've been paying attention to more big picture recently. That's a pretty that's a that's a pretty I good one. Disagree with that. I mean, I, I don't know, man. I mean, even uh, I don't know what to say to that. I mean, like, yeah, I mean, like, why, why are we not? Why, why does everyone pretend like, you know, modern monetary theory, whatever, MMT is like not some grand experiment that hasn't totally been battle tested as a as an approach? It just the whole thing to me. I mean, I assume everybody throughout time always thought, oh, we're in such unusual time um oh, right. but it does, does feel kind of weird and uh i don't know maybe a kind of minsky-ish moment there whatever the guy's name that people talk about um so just kind of weird just kind of weird and there's weird I mean, stuff happening in china like I, I read articles about how there are these like blackouts right now i don't know if you guys have, have seen these articles on bloomberg but it's like and I don't think people really understand what's driving the thinking in China and like they exported a lot of deflation in the last 10 or 20 years, you know, and if they're not, anyway, whatever. I can babble on about inflation for hours. But, no, no, I was, I was listening to uh, Odd Lots with uh, <laughs> Tracy Alloway and Joe Wiesenthal. Like they're, they, they've been covering China pretty well on yeah. and like bringing some experts in, seeing what's going on and stuff. And uh, yeah, no, China's also, it's a, uh, you know, you just kind of got to turn it. You got to like, <laughs> just got to like, you need to put in China. Like <laughs> China. What does he do? Right. China? I don't know what he does. <laughs> like, put him in like, I don't know. Yeah. You know, I think, it, I think one of the things that highlights to me is like, there's so much more risk out there. And, you know, people always talk about like, you know, even on Twitter, like, oh gosh, all these people like thumping their, whatever, thumb thumping their chest what is it you do you pound your chest about your returns or something like so much of what you're trying to do is like in an intelligent way compound your money without getting your like shirt ripped off your face ripped off or whatever 
And like, that means like anticipating risks that don't end up happening. So maybe inflation doesn't happen, but like, how could you not think about it as like a pretty decent risk given like the, all the telltale signs? I mean, I'm, it just seems weird to me. I'm very curious as to, you know, when, when the, the next cycle does come. I mean, it's pretty interesting. And, you know, you talk with a number of fund managers and you see their, their quarterly letters and they're just, you know, they're all killing it, right? But we've been on this crazy bull market forever, you know, even post uh, March 2020, even if you just held a few of your names or bought, you know, on when, when they dipped a bit, right? Like, so it's going to be pretty interesting to see, you know, kind of the fallout from some of that. I mean, who knows when that'll be, right? But it's, uh, it's pretty interesting when you see folks saying they've had an incredible record since uh, 2000, you know, 14 or 15, and you're just like... Cool, you know. That's I, cool, but you, it's you great. Know. I'm, I'm that's, that's a good thing, of course. But like, it, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, yeah. A lot of investors haven't lived through a cycle. Like, I get these right. private equity pitch books and stuff, and like the vice presidents on the team like graduated college in like 2011, and like the managing directors are the only ones that actually like manage money through a recession. You know, so they could. <laughs> it should be very interesting. All right, let's let I, we've droned on long enough. Let's close it out. So uh, <laughs> I, we can keep going. Don't worry, we'll do a spaces, Tom and Marcus at some point. And cool. uh, so with that, Tom, where can everybody go and follow you on uh, Twitter and, and your website and the whole deal? Yeah, I really enjoy being on Twitter. I've met a lot of great people. So please keep everybody reaching out that like has something to say to me, even if you don't like me. Say, God, you're such an idiot. Why does anyone have you on their podcast? Uh, it's just at Thomas Brazil and spelled, it's actually right there on the Zoom screen, but B-R-A-Z, I can't even spell my own name, B-R-A-Z-I-E-L. Yeah, you can, you can tweet at me. I, I prefer Twitter. And so Cool. And Marcus? Yeah, I like using Twitter too. I'm at Marcus Frampton. Um, and I write up stock ideas. I have a link on my Twitter account to the website where I put, post those. Very cool. All right, dudes. This was a, always a pleasure. Thanks for doing this. And uh, I'll, I'll, uh, we'll be catching up pretty soon. All right. All right. Cool. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. See you guys. See you, Bobby.